you watch the people in your organization and ever wonder why some of them are so engaged in their work and why others seem to just go through the motions? Or maybe you've experienced a just going through the motions season yourself. Part of the reason why is because you've lost some of your essential self and the opposite of your essence is ego. Don't worry though, you're still in there. You've been trained for years to act, talk, walk, and be a certain way, especially at work. The Enneagram Typology tool can help you and your teams rediscover who they were before crappy workplace culture got a hold of them. If you want to change your culture through your people, this podcast is for you. We'll dive in deep on the Enneagram and we'll get way past just talking about numbers. Leaders will tell their stories of how the Enneagram has transformed them both professionally and personally. You may have some level of self-awareness now, but let's turn it into self-wisdom and let's improve our ability to relate to people that move through the world in a different way than we do. If you know your core number or you are still exploring, this podcast is for you. Together, we can change our organizations and our world one person at a time. Welcome to the Leading Through the Enneagram podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Pritz. Together, we will explore how the Enneagram typology system applies to leadership. We interview leaders that share their Enneagram journey and how it's impacted the way they lead in their organizations, in their communities, and in their personal lives. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. Can you just tell the listeners just a little bit about who you are, just sort of the high level um, and how we got connected? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm born and raised in Indianapolis and went to Ball State, got a marketing degree and then spent 15 years in sales at a couple in a couple different industries. Um, most recently at, at a huge organization doing corporate sales. Saw saw huge success there, and um, life had different plans for me about four and a half years ago, and um, I suffered a stroke. So really, these last four and a half years, I mean, yes, I went through physical rehab and and um, worked through the mo- mental and emotional piece of that with with a life coach. Went back to corporate sales, thinking I was going to feel normal. And really over that, you know, I left in 2019 knowing I was no longer fulfilled doing that. And since then, I, I still work for a locally owned um, health, home health company, but really have taken a deep dive into my own personal growth and development over the last year and a half or so. And now going through a coaching certification to become a life coach and a mindset coach to help other women that are that are going through life's struggles and challenges and, and want to know how to accept and embrace this new version of themselves. Yeah, thanks for that. I love um, that I get to see you sort of just a, just a few steps behind me. And so there's so much when you talk about your experience and your significant growth through all of the things that you have experienced. Um, and to kind of see you, um, you know, move into this next, this next phase of life with coaching. I've told yeah. several people this, I don't think I've told you this to your face, so I'll tell you now. So <laughs> a few people that have met you just said, Oh my gosh, she's just so amazing. And I said, Oh, I had the same experience. The second I met her, I just thought, Oh, like, like she's going to make it. I meet a lot of coaches. So I network with lots and lots and lots of coaches 
And sometimes I leave thinking, and I don't mean this to, to, you know, sound uh, negative, but I'll leave thinking, Oh, I don't think they're going to make it. I don't know if they're going to make it in the coaching world. And every time I've left a conversation with you, I thought, Oh, she's going to make it in the coaching world. Cause it's not as simple and easy as I think many people make it seem it's definitely hard work and you have to chase getting clients and you have to do your own work to be sure you can give it back to clients. And so I see you doing that. And so I've told a few people that where I'm like, this is one that's going to make it, I think. So I feel pretty, pretty well, confident with that. So that means a whole lot coming from me. I really appreciate that. And yeah, I remember you and I met when like, so, I don't know, six months ago for coffee or something the first time. And, and since then, yeah, you've inspired me with just your own story of, of, you know, your background and what you were doing before and kind of how you, you've transitioned into a coach now. And, um, so that's, that gives me all the more just motivation and inspiration to, to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, that's great. I love hearing that. So, so thank you. Keep doing it. You're on the right track. I really believe that. So I appreciate that. Well, let's transition into some Enneagram talk. For those of you that know the Enneagram, you may have uh, potentially guessed the number that that you most identify with just with some of that, you know, the sales conversation and and sort of being that high achiever. But can you share with the listeners which, which type that you uh, most identify with, but then also just how you discovered the Enneagram, how you stumbled upon it? Wasn't an easy self-diagnosis or did you kind of struggle to Mm. diagnose yourself with your type? So many good questions all in one. So I got to say, I was introduced to the Enneagram literally at the beginning of this year through my coaching certification. Um, Our coach uh, that has this program, her name's Alyssa Nobriga, and she's a huge uh, believer in the Enneagram. And so we all 200 of us in this in this program have done a deep dive with with Enneagram and and who we how we who we resonate most with how we resonate and then how we can then help our our clients with the same regard. So I I went through it and I am a nine. I am a peacemaker and I think because of where I am now that gave me a lot of peace to know like that that feels right. That and other people telling me like that they love to work and talk to people that are nines. And I think that what I went through four and a half years ago, that that changed my perspective on it a little bit and knowing that I'm a nine now, whereas I, what I would have thought before coming from not only corporate sales, but just always being competitive and an athlete and all the things that I would have for sure been a three, which is the achiever. And I think that there's still a little bit of that in me for sure. No doubt about it. Even with stroke recovery, like how competitive I was with myself in my own physical recovery and wanting to be better than I was the day before. So that really can be a strength of mine. And so I'm, I'm thinking that there's, I, I know I still have a little bit of that, but um, a lot of, w- of what the nine is resonates with me wholeheartedly. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up that three connection because lots of people think I'm a three, but I'm actually a nine. And so I can be very high achieving. In fact, I'm, I can be very competitive. I can, I can achieve a lot. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions of nines is that we are somehow mm-hmm. slothy. That's our, you know, deadly sin. And, and I get a lot done. Now, sometimes we're not <laughs> always getting the right things done. We're sort of swirling. We're typically, most of us are busybodies. 
Um, and then the social subtype of the nine looks a lot more like a three. And so if you haven't dug into those subtypes a little bit, I'd be curious if you dug into that a little bit, um, which one you would most identify with. So there's social self-preservation and then what we call one-to-one. Um, and so those are just really animal instincts that each type has. That's sort of that mm. subtype that gives us just a little bit more nuance. And so a social subtype wouldn't look quite as much like a typical stereotypical nine would. So, um, so anyway, just a little, little information there. If you want to dive a little bit deeper into that, uh, but tell me, um, well, actually one thing that came to mind was, um, for nine specifically, it can often take a big life event to really mm. jolt them back to who they are. I know I personally experienced that. And that was a huge awakening for me. And so you alluded to that a little bit, that that was also your experience. Mm. And so I'm kind of just curious to talk through that because I hear that from so many nines, this big life event or this big, huge revelation that happens that wakes us up because we do tend to be very slothy in that way where we kind of fall asleep to ourselves and just sort of go through the motions of life. So mm-hmm. tell me just a little bit about your experience and how how that you know resonates for you. Ooh, that makes so much sense. I, I yeah, to go through what I went through with the severity of the stroke that I had, which I don't think I give it enough credit that it deserves as far as the severity. I definitely know the people, my family and friends around me can tell you how severe it was and even share that, um, you know, to going to going through the, the acute rehab to be there, which I talked to a lot of stroke survivors that don't have to go there. You know, they, they haven't had to, not to compare any, any stroke survivors with any, you know, everything that we face, but mine was, um, it was no joke. And so the recovery of that, let alone physically, which I worked through really the first year and still do to this day, but dealing with the mental and emotional um, struggles and challenges of finding my confidence and belief in myself again on, on who I who I truly am now, um, that's taken a lot of work and it still does every day. I still work on that every day. Even now, creating this coaching business, believing in myself and believing that I can do it. Um, but I get reminded every time I have a conversation with someone that that is maybe going through something similar to what I've already been through and to can see what's possible is is inspiring for me and, and provides me that you know some of that confidence and belief that yeah, people need to continue to to hear this and and I, I connect with so many people that once they do experience a, um, a huge life transition, they have a whole new perspective. And I love talking to those people. I I resonate with that so much. Yeah. And I think nines specifically are such great coaches for that reason. So I think we really can be natural impasse if we are emotionally not slothy, which I would say the sloth piece of things really resonated for me when I got to emotions and my mental well-being because I physically was not slothy. And so you were kind of, you know, sort of alluding to that too, where it was like, oh, I had to do all the mental, emotional work. And that was really hard for me because you probably, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you probably have run from most of that work, most of your life, because it feels more comfortable to not do that, to not address some of the harder issues, the emotions and the mental pieces of things. 
Yeah, I definitely think, you know, and I had a crazy life, you know, um, trauma when I was young. And so not only did I, I have overcome that pretty well and have, have embraced it and found purpose in it. In the professional realm, you're definitely taught not to open up and share those pieces of you. Um, you know, it's all about goals and results and sales and, and the grind. And, and really, not that I, my organization really was so supportive of me, which was really great to see as far as allowing me to go through, um, you know, the instability that I had while still trying to work at a high level where, again, I talked to a lot of people that have gone through um, life's challenges and their their corporate or their professional world is not accepting of it, does not allow it, doesn't, you know, they just kind of blow, not blow by it, but just, I think that hurts people when they're trying to process and, you know, um, accept and, and just go through what life has, has handed them. And depending on where you're at, that company's not overly supportive of that. Yeah, no, I've, I've found that to be true as well. Just working with clients and my own experience in the corporate world, the more I started to open up, I did feel uh, that other people around me started to open up. So by yeah. the time I left, I was like, forget it. I'm just going to be myself because I'm tired of not, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, just, right. I, can't, I can't not be myself anymore. And so I was more vulnerable, uh, much more emotional at work when it was, you know, when I felt like it would not only serve me, but serve the team to show that I could be that way. And people would start to open up. So I do think that people saw like that is a unique thing about me that I was pretty real. But yeah, I agree. I think that's a real challenge in, in most corporate environments where it's just not something that we talk about because it's not something we can see. And so it's really hard when you think of mental health. You know, when I have met with you and you talk about some of your um, residual impacts of the the stroke, I can't see any of those. I don't notice that. And so I think the things we can't see, we often ignore. Mm. I do think after the last 18 months, I hope that companies are a little more awake to this and better understanding that everyone has disruptive life events. And we all just went through a huge disruptive life event collectively And so there's just a lot of that going on now. And when we have to have a lot of people that need that support, that can feel pretty overwhelming in normal circumstances. Not everybody is having a major life event at the same time, you know? So I'm, I'm hearing a lot of leaders really struggling with that because they want to support, but they just don't know how, because everybody's kind of in the same boat, including them, including the leader, you know, they're all kind of there. And so, yeah, I think that's a, a, a jolt that we needed as a society to say, wait a minute, we've got to do something different here because we're all human. Like this is a human experience and we can't continue on saying that we don't have disruptive life events and saying, oh, we're just going to bypass them. Like, oh, we'll just move forward and forget about that. That's how we end up with people that have major you know, a midlife crises and, you know, all these things. And so, so yeah, I do think that there's, I think that conversation has started. We have a long way to go, but I'm thrilled that people are at least having that realization that that's such a needed thing in our work environments. I, I hope I completely agree with you. And I'm, I'm starting to see the shift as well. And I, and I am seeing more companies and businesses um, being open to offering those resources to their employees. Maybe it's not going to be them to be able to help, but to know like, 
I'm going to find something for you. I'm going to find someone for you to be, to be a resource because mental health is, is got to be one of the number one topics, um, uh. you know, that, that everybody's kind of dealing with right now. And the companies that, that find those resources quicker and put some things and start to implement some things are, are going to be that much more successful as leaders and companies. Yeah. And I think that's where coaching fits in so nicely because there's many people that don't necessarily feel like they need therapy, but they want some support. They really just want somebody to listen to them. I mean, that's a a basic human need. You know, they want, they want to feel seen and heard. We all want that. I don't care if you say you don't, we, we all desire that there's a, it's a basic human need. Um, so I think coaching is a great, space for that, you know, where people can feel safe. I know I've experienced inside of organizations, people don't want to share some of these things with their one-up or with their peers. They feel very uncomfortable with that, especially the higher they move. So I coach a lot of executives and they're like, "Eh, forget it. I'm not sharing any of that information. There's no way I'm going to be vulnerable in front of all these people. Um, And so when they can have that third party that's on the outside, that really doesn't have a whole lot of skin in that game. You know, there's no politics going on. They're truly just there to support. I think that's such a great space for for coaches. Um, So to connect the Enneagram with your coaching practice, I'm kind of just curious about where you think your strengths are as an Enneagram 9 and a coach. And then we'll get to where you think there's some, maybe some weakness or some opportunity there. So let's start with your strengths. Why do you think being an Enneagram nine and a coach is a really great match? I think just my, um, just the authentic compassionate empathy that I can have with a, a variety of my clients. I can just understand and have no judgment of where they're coming from what they have to say. Um, I, I, and, and creating that, that genuine just connection and trust with, with my clients. And, and that's the the feedback I've received so far. And that just is, that just warms my heart. Um, challenges. And, you know, again, I guess, depending on personality types, um, there's been, there's been a couple of, of one ace out there for me that, you know, that have just bold personalities and that are just a little bit opposite of, of maybe my personality. So it's just trying to still create and build that whatever connection that, that can be with them and to let them know that they are in a safe space, a safe container that I'm just holding them and, and, you know, continue to, provide and add value wherever I can to help them with, with where they still are. But those personalities are, are sometimes interesting for me. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, the fours, fives and nines live in that withdrawing stance. And so we do tend to be less, um, you know, pushing against people, less aggressive, less assertive. And so then when you get into like the three, sevens and eights who are really assertive, you know, it's kind of like, whoa, I mean, those, those people used to be a struggle for me now, or used to be a struggle for me in the past. Um, but now it's sort of just, uh, okay, I'm just going to walk alongside them yeah, um, because it takes them longer, especially an eight, for example, it'll take them a lot longer to trust you. And so I think that's been the beautiful thing in my coaching practice to have that information up front and to understand the Enneagram mm. with my clients. Because when I, when I understand, oh, they're an eight or they're a six, they may not trust me right off the bat. They're going to think I have a hidden agenda 
And that's okay. That's just the way they view the world. There's nothing wrong right. with that. And you and right. I as nines are like, oh no, why would anybody do anything that wouldn't be trustworthy? You know, we're pretty, <laughs> pretty trusting people just naturally, right. which also gets us into trouble for sure. Right. So right. there's, you know, there's always these, you know, ceilings and basement sides of all of these, you know, attributes of ourselves. But yeah, it's been really helpful for me to understand that um, about people because I can just say, oh, it's just going to take them time. So I know I mentioned before we hit record the you know self-awareness piece. We talked a little bit about that with the Enneagram, but I also think the social awareness with the Enneagram has been really impactful for me. So understanding some of the other numbers has really helped me to see that, oh, people see things so differently than I do. None of them are wrong. None of these right. ways of seeing the world and, and experiencing the world are wrong. It's just different. And so that's really given me um, a, a lot more grace and compassion for the way different ways people showed up. I know you mentioned the non-judgment thing. That's something that nines are typically really good at just naturally. I've heard all sorts of crazy crap in coaching sessions. And I'm like, I, I genuinely don't judge you for that. Cause I've right. thought all that crazy crap too. So, or experienced right. that crazy crap. So, you know, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I really truly don't, am not judgmental for the most part. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just kind of curious about the social awareness piece. Have you experienced that too? How much have you dove into other types and kind of understanding the different ways that people show up? Mm. I, I will be honest. I haven't taken a deep dive into it quite yet. Um, and I also, I would love to though. Um, and just because I know that that will benefit both of us moving forward in the coaching relationship. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I want to find the the right way to not only to continue to do my own work, um, but also share with my clients, um, how the Enneagram works and how it can add value to their, to their life, whether it's personally or professionally or whatever it may be. So I'm, I'm always open and would love to hear more from you, whether it's now or later on best ways to do that. Yeah. Well, I always recommend because it's such a, a overwhelming tool. There's so many things, you know, I mentioned these subtypes. There's just so yes. many things that every time I think I get a handle on it, I learn something new, which is awesome. I love that about it. Um, but I always tell people to really focus in on you know, the number they most identify with their growth opportunities first, once they feel like they've done that work and they have a really good self-awareness, then transition into, okay, now I want to understand the people around me. So, I mean, this took me five years. So this was not something that I just snapped my fingers and knew. I, it took me a lot of years of deep diving, discovery, going through certification. So um, so certainly no shame or shade for, for not yeah. diving into all those types since you're fairly early on in the journey, you know, it hasn't right. been that long since you've really dug into the Enneagram. So, and there's lots of other tools out there. Um, lots of people use disc in the corporate environment. Um, it's not quite as deep as the Enneagram or not, not nearly as deep as the Enneagram, you know, strengths finder, all those things are helpful information as a coach. So I use them all. I personally just believe the Enneagram to be the deepest tool to get to the root cause of what is going on with a client. And so usually when I understand their number, I can give them a handful of limiting beliefs and they're like, yep, yep, yep. I say these all the time to myself. I believe these as truth. And so it just really helps us, you know, expedite coaching when I understand their Enneagram style. So my coaching isn't all about Enneagram. It's just the starting point. And then we shift into some of those other coaching tools. Well, yeah. And like you said, the awareness and, and, and sometimes clients 
may not even, it might be like that subconscious or unconscious layer. Like they, they didn't even know it until you bring that awareness to them. And then you can obviously start to work through that. But that's right. clearly the first step. Yeah. Oh yeah. It took me a year to discover that I was a nine because it's a yeah. subconscious motivation. Like you had this mm. thing that you've had on autopilot forever that you don't even know you're doing. Right. <laughs> and I, it took right. me a while to say, do I really, am I always striving for peace and comfort? Is that true? And when I really sat with that, that's been true my whole entire life. I felt the same way, even though I thought before, you know, four and a half years ago that I was an achiever. I didn't, I didn't really any, from an Enneagram standpoint, I didn't know, but really so many things with the nine have always been me and I just didn't know it. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. (laughs) And then I think the beauty of that is capitalizing on the ways that those are strengths for us and then challenging ourselves on the ways that we um, need to make some real intentional change because it's not serving us anymore. This autopilot behavior is not serving us anymore. So, you know, I would have described myself as, as sometimes an assertive person. I can be very assertive, especially if my peace is on the line. If my peace Mm. or comfort is on the line, I can be very assertive. Um, but for the most part, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Pretty easygoing. You know, I don't really have a strong opinion about where you want to go to eat or any of that stuff. I'm like, I don't know wherever you want to be. So, um, so, you know, so I can throw people a little bit with, some of that assertiveness, but the motivator behind the assertiveness is always my own comfort, always. So that's been the fascinating thing for me to watch myself do where I'm like, oh my gosh, I just really came after that person. But that was because I thought my piece was on the line. Right. So yeah. So it's just, it's a fast, it's fascinating. And I have a pretty strong eight wing at this point. I think I've intentionally grown that. So I relate to eights a lot. You know, there's a lot of things that they say where I'm like, gosh, and nines and eights are pretty polar opposites, you know, right. I mean, they have, they have a few similarities and not many, they're pretty, pretty opposite. And so that's been a good balance for my type to learn like when to turn that on and off because sometimes it comes out and, and it's not good. So, so I have to kind of like my nine has to clean that up <laughs> after the I, eight comes out. I love that observation. It, Cause I, I, I honestly, I guess with the, the Enneagram that we, that I, took and the information that I have, I honestly, I I struggle to resonate from a wing standpoint. Am I, is it an eight or is it a one? Because I really don't resonate with either of those. So I just, it's again, doing a deeper dive and some more work to figure out. Maybe again, it could be subconscious. Like I I don't even know when that shows up sometimes because at the end of the day, just like you said, it's maybe I am just trying to protect my own peace and comfort ultimately. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the wings can be varying levels. So I would have described myself as more of a nine with a one wing um, in my 20s, 30s. And then I've sort of transitioned into more of that eight wing just because I've seen it as a need for me. Um, Most of my life, I kind of got steamrolled, but nobody was intentionally steamrolling me. I just wasn't speaking up to say, hey, I have these wants and needs. Uh, And so I wasn't speaking up for that. And so it wasn't because people were out to get me. That was on me. So that was where I had accountability in that, you know, in my own life to make some change there. That's just so interesting. Because I now, you know, just having this conversation and thinking back to being in like the corporate world, being afraid to raise my hand and speak up and then just letting the majority rule like on a decision or whatever that may be. And then thinking, that's not really what I 
what I feel is right or what I want to do or what makes sense or what I would have voted on. But again, because I didn't want to use my voice and raise my hand, it it didn't work in my favor. And, And at the end of the day, that's on me. That was on me. Right. Yeah. And, you know, nines have this subconscious thing going on where we believe our presence doesn't matter that anybody could sit in the seat. We don't have anything to say. And so when we can wake up to that and say, wait a minute, my presence here does matter. And I need to speak up here, regardless of what the outcome is. I need, I need to at least, you know, say what I believe in this situation. And in most places, we're kind of like indifferent, right? Because we kind of see both sides of things. So it's, it's so true. There's so many times where we really don't have a strong opinion about something. We're like, yeah, that could work. I could see how that could work. I could also <laughs> see how that other idea could work, you know? So we kind of can fall in that category. But when I feel that strong sense of, I need to speak up here, yeah. then I really push myself to do that. And so it's not natural, but just acknowledging that, like that's been a huge piece of self-awareness for me where I'm like, oh gosh, I do that. Where I think my presence doesn't matter. So I'm not going to speak up, which is a real um, confidence sucker, you know? Totally. So it's like, yeah. And then when you do speak up, it's a confidence booster. So it's like, oh, wow, that's great. You know, that was really what I needed. Yeah. Um, I love that our, I love that our coach says, depending on where we are and what we're doing. And just like what you were saying, it's, it's, it's what we would call a growth edge, yeah. like stepping out of your comfort zone in a sense, but really stepping, stepping up and, and raising yeah. our hand and, 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 uh, using our voice when we, when we feel so strongly about it and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just in general as women, most women are sort of socialized to be like, no, no. I mean, most of us got on the report cards. I did too. She's too loud. She talks too much. <laughs> I mean, I have multiple report cards that said that. So I thought, okay, I guess that's what the world wants for me is to not be loud and to not speak up. And so I didn't. So yeah. for years and years and years, and that was really a struggle because that's not really who I am. That's just who I was socialized to be. And mm. so waking up to that and really starting to speak up and speak my own needs, especially in my personal life, I think that was even more of a a need for me was to tell my husband what I needed and Mm. tell the people around me, I don't like that and set some healthy boundaries, you know? So, so that was a really big benefit for me. So I'm kind of curious about how you think the Enneagram has impacted your personal life and just kind of knowing this information about yourself. Such a good question because most we're, we're talking so much about the professional realm, but obviously it's, it's who you are internally and at your soul being like at your core. And so personally, um, yeah, it's still learning how to, well, I mean, I gotta, I gotta say even over this last year and a half, really being comfortable and at peace with my decisions when it comes to saying yes or no to, to meeting up with people or going to this event or that all used to be more important to me, but but now it's, it's like you said, it's, it's me being aware of, I'm, I'm definitely protecting myself and in a good way. Like it really doesn't bother me. It's, it's being totally okay with the decisions I'm making for myself. And when it comes to my husband, I mean, he's maybe doing a better job of, of, I, I guess I think I do a good job of telling him what I, what I want or need, but you know, when I take a second look at it, there could be more done there probably. 
Yeah. And I would imagine just, you know, having the stroke four years ago, you were sort of forced to do that because now it's like, gosh, I'm in this vulnerable position where I have to ask for help. I don't have a choice. That's exactly right. That, yeah. What I think I, I told him just a few days ago, like what a shift it has been for, for both of us. Um, I don't know if he's even as aware of it as as I am or as family as, or even my family is to see his, his shift, um, and what he's done for himself and, and for me. I mean, I tell people he cares more about me than he cares about himself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the, the first few months or I mean, I can't even say like it was being okay with, with having the help, like it realizing, looking back, it wasn't, Maybe it was the first few months, you know, the frustration of it, but ultimately I'm okay with, with knowing if I, it's better to ask for help than to try and do it by myself and get frustrated and pissed off or sad or whatever that emotion is going to come forward. Like knowing that I will feel better that I'm, that I'm getting help. And I, and I think a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. They don't out they don't ask for the help. That's yeah. That's the other thing I've noticed. Um even with so one of my my most prized roles at working for my corporate organization was being a mentor and uh, which is kind of like a coach. Um, <laughs> looking back, you know, and realizing that these these reps, these sales reps were calling me um because they wanted to talk about life, not not work sometimes, but just personal things that they were going through in their life. And yes, they didn't want to go to their their boss about it. And maybe they didn't have the support at home to yeah. open up. Um, so they were obviously becoming vulnerable, but that I created a, a safe space for them to open up and be vulnerable. And so I think that asking for help, no matter what, is so huge. And um, I think the more you do it, and the, the better you will be, the better you will feel. Yeah, no, that that absolutely resonates for me. I most nines that I know will say people just come and tell me all sorts of stuff, and I'm like, me too. Like in the grocery store, I like, okay, you know, that's interesting. And I really think that we we are really suffering from a loneliness problem in our world, um, maybe specifically in American culture, where we all think we have to do it alone. Right. And we weren't meant to ever do it alone. We were meant to do it together. That's why we're considered technically pack animals. You know, we're supposed to do this together. We're supposed to lean on each other, but we put up so many protective measures to, to in quotes, protect ourselves. And it's really harming us. I do an assessment with clients and it's a social essential self-connection. So I'm really trying to unravel how we've been socialized to believe we need to be, which is very armored up. And then how, who we are essentially, which is, you know, we put down the armor when we're our essential selves and authentic and people just come to us, you know, it's so great. And so that's one of the questions on it. And it is that I feel like I'm alone and I have yet Mm. to have a client that doesn't answer always true or mostly true. Rachel, that's fascinating. It's heartbreaking, right? And I know I've experienced that where I'm like, I feel alone in the world, especially in my own burnout journey. I really thought I was completely alone. And when I realized that I had so many people around me that I could reach out to, um, friends, my partner in life, my, you know, family members, I hired a coach just to have somebody like listen to me, right? And so I felt I felt 
just incrementally a little bit less lonely. And I really think that's a huge aspect to the mental health of, of people in general right now is we feel like we have to be alone. And then we physically were separated and still are in some circumstances, right. you know? So it was like, gosh, now we took away that too. But I think loneliness might be the real pandemic. Not saying that, mm. that, that COVID is not a real pandemic, but I really think that loneliness will be one of those, those side pandemics from this that will just continue to get worse and worse. Man, I completely agree with you. Um, and I think that for those of us that have maybe already been through, you know, our our life changing experience and events and have worked on ourselves and created um, the safe and comfortable environment within us and with our partners and family, like we were coming out of this in a better place. And now we're seeing, I guess, as coaches, though, how we can help others that, that are going through what we've potentially already been through in some capacity at some level and not knowing what to do, but just encourage them to reach out to someone. It doesn't have to be their family or their friends. Like, and for me, my family and friends could only get me so far, um, you know, with, with where my struggles. And that's when I reached out to a coach and how, how powerful she was for me and a game changer she was for me. So I, I, that's what I, a message I would, I would leave with, this audience is, is to encourage them to talk through it, find somebody, release it, let those, those feelings and that armor, you know, come down, let, let, let the emotion come up and out, because that is the only way you're going to continue to, to kind of create change and, and, and to find out who you really are and who you want to be. Yeah. Well, and I still have my own coach and always will, you know, I mean, I think it's really important for us to always have, have somebody that we can, go to. And you know what? There's something to be said about paying somebody for that. So I'm paying somebody to truly be present with me and to make me feel less alone in the world and to challenge me around that thinking that I am alone because that really wasn't true. That's how I, that's what my brain was telling me, but that wasn't really true. I wasn't alone, but I believed that. And so, so that was really huge for me. I'm all for it. Like, I I mean, I've told my coach many times, like I would have paid you double. And she's like, well, thanks for telling me now that would have been (laughs) helpful information (laughs) five years ago when you reached out. But you know, it was like, yeah, I mean, like the money doesn't matter when you see the value that you get out of it. And when you really put in the work, I would have paid her nearly any amount of money to get me unstuck from the spot that I was in for sure. And I think that's such a great message for this audience and for people that need to hear that, like it's, it's not about the cost, but it's just this, are you willing to make this investment in yourself to want, and do you want it bad enough to, to create change and get out of the, the overwhelm or to get unstuck for where you feel like you are, like how no one knows how to do that by themselves or they, or they had done it by now. <laughs> right. We have so many <laughs> blind spots. So we need uh, somebody that is listening and saying, Oh, I just pulled out this theme that I've heard from you. And I remember my coach saying, it sounds like you're lonely. And I was like, mm. I would have never articulated that on my own ever. And right. so, yeah, it was like, well, yeah, I think I am, you know? And so then we dove in a little bit deeper into challenging that. So that's why I love coaching. Love it. The first step is awareness. Totally. And sometimes people and we're just are not aware. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you can't do anything about it until you're aware yeah. of it. So yes. it's so yeah. powerful. Such powerful yeah. work. Yes. Well, I know you're working with clients. So would you share with the audience just 
who your ideal client is, what are what are the people that would reach out to you for coaching, who do you really enjoy working with and feel like your um your ideal client lands. Yeah, so so far it's just been women, but I definitely want to to send a message out there that I would love to work with men and I, I and I think it's a it's commendable to to be a man and reach out and say I I know I'm I'm in this place that I no longer want to be in. I want to, I want to know how to kind of up-level myself and get out of this potential rut that I'm in, or, or um, maybe they're not even aware again of, of where they are, but they just know that something's not right. But typically it's, it's mostly women that have endured life-changing experiences or events and are just, just have that um, emotional and mental, you know, instability and challenge and want to know how to, to climb over that hurdle and find acceptance in this new version of themselves and embrace it and learn what, what is my potential here? What am I still capable of doing? And who do I, who do I really want to be? Those are the women that I, that I want to talk to. And, um, if they're, you know, they just have to, they just have to want it bad enough. Yeah. Well, and I think we have to get unstuck from all these like head games and all the head trash that we're cycling through to even reach our full potential. That's a huge word that I use. It's in my personal mission is to help people reach their full potential. Mm-hmm. We're just tipping, like we're, we're, we're barely getting there. Like most of us are just surviving. We're not maximizing our full potential. And that's what I love doing is helping people get unstuck from these patterns of behavior, these ways of thinking for years and years and years that have just been limiting them. Like they're holding them back and it's them. It's no one else. So we blame the people around us, but it's, we have so much accountability for our own behaviors, actions, all of it. And we can can make so much change just with that alone, but we're so hyper-focused on how everything else externally needs to change. And what really needs the really close look at is the internal, like we need to look at ourselves in this situation. Every day, all the time. I mean, what a, a, a transformational process going through this coaching certification has been for me because it's, it is all about from the inside out and as cliche as it might sound, literally mindset is everything, everything. It's, it's your own thoughts, your feelings, the stories, all these things that you're telling yourself and realizing none of it's true or none of it's who you are. It's just a thought or it's just a feeling or it's just a story you were telling yourself, but then how to, how to shift that, how to, how to flip that and, and start to work consistently creating these new habits and, and, um, this mindset for yourself and know that you're the only one holding yourself back no matter what. Yes. Well, I think our brains are like our biggest strength and also our biggest weakness. So, and you know, we create these, these little neural pathways in our brains and they're comfortable and easy and our brains are pretty lazy. So we're like, well, we'll just head down that path again. Keep telling ourselves the same story because the alternative story will create some work for me. I'm going to have to work too hard. And our brains are like, forget it. We're out. And I, I, I just want to speak just by you saying that, acknowledging my, the work that I've done on my, literally on my own brain. And knowing that when I was going through the rehab, that my therapists were telling me, like, your brain's going to start to recreate and rebuild and rewire because there's certain parts that are no longer going to work. So we're going to, we're going to rewire that to make sure it still does maybe in a different way or in a new way, but this can still happen. So 
and even just saying that is so powerful. And, and, um, I'm proud of myself for, for doing the work that I've done to get to where I am and where I want to continue to go. And I know we're going to probably wrap up here, but I, I just want to share another, another, I think huge topic that I want to continue to share. And another story that I want to continue to share is the, a victim mentality versus the warrior mentality. And I believe that I've, I've adapted the warrior mentality very well, but I see so many people, whether they've, whatever the situation they've gone through is they're not a victim of that circumstance unless they've chosen that mentality to be one. And so those are the other, those are the people that I want to work with is knowing that they no longer want to stay stuck. Maybe they didn't even realize how much they have the victim mentality, but that will get you nowhere in life. Yeah. Ah, that's what I, I that's a realization I've had. I am so proud of you for doing the work as well. And so it's hard work. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You could have let yourself sink into victimhood and think of all the things you didn't have versus all the things that this was here to teach you. Um, and also like recognizing the balance of that. You know, we can't just shift when you had when you were in a tough space, you can't just magically say, Oh, well, this is here to teach me something. It sucked at the time. Like it sucked. <laughs> and so it's okay to acknowledge that, but then allowing ourselves the space to get out of the suck. So I'm all for embracing the suck, but then we have to figure out a way to get out of that in a productive way. And recognizing that life has ebbs and flows. We'll be in the suck and then we'll be out of the suck. We'll be in the suck, we'll be out of the suck. Every time that we challenge ourselves to get out of victim mentality, it is it happens faster and faster. And so I right. love that when I feel myself sinking into that now, it's like, wait a minute. Because I was a full-on victim five years ago. Like <laughs> victim to it all. I had no control over it. And what a ridiculous really way of thinking now that I've seen the other side of it, you know? So yeah, I, I love you calling that out because I agree. I see a lot of people living in victim mentality. And I thank you for that. And I, I love, and I'm starting to see the saying out there that it's okay to not be okay. And that's true, but I would add to that. It's not okay to stay. Not okay. <laughs> yes. Like, I love that. You know, I, right. it's like it's, it, yeah, you can have a, a bad day. But don't let that, don't turn that into a bad week because then it's going to snowball into a bad month and yep. and so on. So I get chills just thinking about that because it's I, I just feel like we as coaches can, that's where we can help people if if they're willing and ready to and realize that, okay, I know I'm not okay, but I, I don't want to stay here. Yes. Yeah. I love that. That's a, like, you got to coin that quote, like that follow-up to it's okay to not be okay. I love that because yeah, I agree. I, we can't, I, we can't live in the pit of despair. That's not helpful either, but you're going right. to be in the pit of despair at times. It's just life. It's right. an experience. So figuring out how to get out of that and get out of that sooner every time. That's key. I completely yeah. agree. I may, I may, I'm going to put that out there. Yeah, you absolutely should. <laughs> so I think that's really great because I think especially for people in the corporate mindset of like, well, you can't just sit in despair all the time and you can't, you know, be in that pit forever. And so they sort of just don't acknowledge it at all. And I'm like, no, there's a middle ground here. We can acknowledge it. And then we can teach ourselves how to get out of it and come out on the other side of it with even more resilience and stronger on the other side. Um, I think that's a really great message to share because I think people see that as too fluffy. Like, oh my gosh, if we allow that space for people, they're just going to sit around and do nothing and sit in sadness. 
Yeah, and if you think about not, it. Yeah, that's not what we're saying here. We're saying, no, you can sit in the sadness and then it's time to get up after a, a period of time. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have no doubt that you're going to serve so many men and women <laughs> as you move forward with your coaching practice and yeah, looking forward to continuously seeing you grow and what our partnerships look like in the future. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited to work with you in the future. Yeah, same. Well, thanks for joining me. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Rachel. See you soon. Bye.